Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Zero Hour. Um, Ashley, what stands out to me at the beginning of the year is how much is still spilling over from last year, 2020, that year of years. Um, so in December, we had the FTC talking about antitrust lawsuits against Google and Facebook. We had the solar winds breach um, affecting innumerable companies, government agencies. And you know what came to mind is we live in this cybersecurity world, but how much these issues are now coming to the fore for end users and average consumers, right? I think that started with Cambridge Analytica, but it's been a long time coming that now personal users of these technologies are beginning to ask questions and think about cybersecurity in different ways. Yeah, Happy New Year. You know, not much has changed since 2020 to 2021, but you're right, people are starting to think about how these privacy concerns impact them because it, we're all on the front lines of dealing with these issues and being knowledgeable about them and getting educated on what's important um, is really becoming the story for everybody these days. Yeah, and so someone who got our attention is named uh, Tazin Khan, and she hosts an Instagram TV show called Tech with Taz. And it's amazing. I mean, she is a cybersecurity specialist by day with Morgan Franklin Consulting. But what she brings to that TV show is trying to distill data privacy issues, data privacy legislation, um, phishing techniques to the average end user and I'm a little biased here, but she does it with like straight fire. <laughs> yes, I love her energy, everything about her. The ability to take such complex topics that many people don't know about and explain them clearly and simply is a win. And I've learned a ton just from watching her shows. There's so much to take away. Yeah, so let's get into it with Taz. And I will say before we start, some of the language gets a little salty, but I'm okay with it, but just as a forewarning. So without further ado, it's Tech with Taz. Taz, so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah. So uh, let's just, we got a lot to get through. You're too interesting. So um, let's start right away. So I am fascinated by the fact that you have two cells essentially, right? By day, you work with Morgan Franklin Consulting, which we will talk about, but your alter ego is Tech with Taz on Instagram and uh, on Twitter. And you host an Instagram TV show, which you call Security, Privacy, and Other Bullshit. And you're the founder of the Cyber Collective. So we're going to try to dig into each of those constituent parts of your cells, but um, first, let's always start with the hero's journey. What has led you to cybersecurity and to data privacy? Yeah, wow, when you say all of that, I'm just feeling <laughs> <laughs> hearing all of the things <laughs> off that. Um, but my journey into security, I think, started a bit unorthodox. I was working at a Michael Kors, um, a retail store, and this woman came in and she looked fabulous. Her man was carrying all her bags. And um, after some interaction back and forth, I just felt to ask her, um, what do you do and how do I do it? 
and she told me that she was in security sales. And so I ended up getting her contact information and emailing her every month for like six months until she hired me. And she finally hired me. And that was my way into the government contracting space, um, working directly with Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and DOD contracts specific to security. So that was really my first step into the security field. I started in sales and business development, and then um, to be a good salesperson, I had to learn the product and the network and infrastructure and just the entire, um, you know, architecture of security. And I started doing technical consulting after that. And so now we're here. <laughs> Still, she persisted. That is quite the story. That's awesome. And I, I mean, I'm just going to chime in. I love our salespeople over here, but I will say not every seller believes they actually need to learn <laughs> the architecture and the product. So good, good for you. Make It does make you a better seller. I would concur. I would very agree with that. I tell my parents all the time. I'm like, look, ma, I'm kind of doing engineering work like you always wanted me to do. Those listening in, I am, yes, Southeast Asian. So that's the way that it goes, you can only be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer in my call. Pressure is real. <laughs> yeah. And you nailed it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your Instagram show, which focuses on education and advocacy for the general public. It's also amazing and everybody should go check it out. Um, but you have a post where you talk about feeling lonely and not having anyone around that you could relate to when it when it came to how you felt about advocacy and policy. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, George, you hit on this whole like bilateral identity, right? That I have, and then it fits into also my bicultural identity in a sense, mm -hmm. being a Bengali American. And then on top of it, um, most of my peers, I don't want to use absolutes, but most of my peers and friends are in the creative industry. They're either video producers, musicians, um, writers, journalists, and all extremely successful, which is incredible to see and super inspiring. Um, I'm the only ones in my circle that are in this tech space and then specifically security, right? So for sure, was on both ends with my friend circle, I definitely... I would talk about, they're like, how's work going? And I knew that even if I mentioned anything, they probably wouldn't be able to understand or relate. And then in the security industry, I have all of this creative influence and this, a lot of influence from these industries outside of ours that I think could benefit from what we do in the security realm. And so I just constantly have felt out of place in the difference mm, that I have been in. Um, but the cool thing that came out of that, I think, has been the ability to merge it all together through these different efforts that I have. Um, and it has allowed me to meet people on the internet that are in security that have similar interests um, in advocacy and policy as I do. So it, it was really bridging those gaps. And then through the process of trying to share with my peers the importance of security or 
my family members and different people that I interact with, I just saw the very large gaps of knowledge, just constant, you know, absolutely stereotypes that they have about security and whatnot, and not realizing their role in keeping this healthy digital ecosystem. They're like, well, I don't have anything to hide. It doesn't matter to me or companies will take care of it, et cetera. So once I started having conversations, I realized, damn, this is fascinating that you're a space engineer at NASA and you have no idea about security. (laughs) (laughs) That is a red flag. (laughs) We need to do something about this. So um, I will say that that feeling has, um, has now dissipated because I very much have met some incredible people, including you, um, in the space that are in the same wavelength. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think we, we talked, um, our last in-person interview of 2020 was at the uh, William and Flora Hewlett Foundation in Silicon Valley, and they had just started this initiative with artists to reimagine what hackers look like, right? They're like, you got to get over the hoodie in the basement and the binary code because it makes it so separate from everyday reality, right? That's not what these groups look like. So they hired a whole bunch of artists to like rethink and they placed it all under creative commons. So you would have these different ways of uh, visualizing cybersecurity because yeah, to your point, if, if you're smart in one aspect of your professional life, but you're just like sharing a whole bunch of information or you don't have an understanding of what those T and C's mean, and how your data is being used. Yeah, there's a huge gap there. And I do appreciate that about your show that this just like got a little bit more Instagram swagger on these topics, right? So it's not like, let me lecture you on data privacy in this sort of dry manner because from you know the net to hackers all the way up to whatever, cybersecurity creativity is kind of one note. So yeah, I just wanted to add that there, but yeah, I'll turn it back over to Ashley. So with the topics that you're covering on your show, do you see overlap in what you're doing with your work in Morgan Franklin, or do you see them as sort of distinct topics that you're covering? I mean, I do security at Morgan Franklin and I talk about cybersecurity on the show. So that overarching, yes, there is, um, you know, some synergy at that level. The biggest difference is the fact that my show is specifically consumer oriented and I'm talking straight to people and at Morgan Franklin I'm working with enterprises um I think the biggest piece that does relay in is you know when you work with enterprises and different people because you're still working with people right and organizations you kind of realize the amount of um what's the word I'll say it this way even when I started doing consumer awareness there was so many questions that were posed to me that I didn't have answers to. I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to take enterprise security and turn it into individual security, right? Like answer the questions, what can I do? I'm like, wow, that's a great question. Do you know what a VPN is? Or that nature. Um, And I, when you talk about consumer awareness to with enterprises or security professionals, it's still not something that people even in our industry care that much about because I, I think we feel a responsibility to secure environments at large organizations that help the entire ecosystem. Um, and 
the individual agency is sometimes irrelevant if you have a very protected network. Um, so, you know, what it, the overlap is in conversation when it's brought up um, mm-hmm. or those types of kind of anecdotal moments, but at large, sure. Yeah. You know, it's security. It's just taking the same information that I'm probably talking about um, with the different companies and relaying it in a authentic and palatable way for a broader audience, right? I'm probably not using the same language (laughs) that I use in my show, but um, it's still me, but then, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's fascinating. I would say just from perusing the comments on the posts, you know, I think you're really, it's resonating. It's, it's clear that people are learning uh, from the stuff that you've been producing. So I, I kind of want to take that back to some current events. So, you know, late last year now, uh, we saw that the FTC brought an antitrust lawsuit against Facebook. And they also sent that 31 page sample order to uh, Facebook, Amazon, Snap, Twitter, YouTube, uh, and even ByteDance, which owns TikTok. And they were demanding data and documentation on the attributes they use to track and uh, derive value. So when you look at how you started your show and the engagement that you're getting now, whether it's the comments that we can see or people reaching out to you through DMs, where what is your take on how the general public's consciousness is growing or or changing around data privacy and security issues? I mean, tenfold since when I first started or even made my first video last year or um, at the end of the year before, but I think all of our work is getting very mainstream. Reaches are reaching headlines, and especially with COVID, remote working, people are understanding the value of the internet, I guess, (laughs) and (laughs) connectivity. Um, And so it's, I think simply put it, it's just getting really mainstream. And so people are caring about it. And like you, we weren't recording, but before we were recording, you'd mentioned, or no, you did, the celebrities, right? Um, That's right. Heal it. Yeah, sorry, my brain. Um, The element of bringing in celebrities and tying in pop culture, I think is resonating with a lot of people. And it's provocative, right? It's something, I mean, I think the community, especially there's this nature that exists now of like wanting to fight for something like people are ready to get involved and fight for something and this gives them something else to to fight for which is data privacy um so folks are definitely getting energized about it my goal is to make sure people are you know getting energized in an accurate fashion (laughs) and understand real key distinction yeah right like i mean you think about it now ever since um you know some surveillance capitalism that's being pushed out and things with covid and contact tracing everyone like digital marketers are all of a sudden privacy and security experts and you know that are not even in the industry um so i think there's a fine line between jumping on different topics and then also understanding um the gravity of the work that we do and how important this is. And I think having security professionals and privacy professionals 
speak about these topics in simple language um, will help mitigate a lot of these headlines that are almost fear-mongering the public now. Mm -hmm. um, and then also energizing a lot of people to now just become involved, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and well, I think it's like all of a piece, right? We think about we get breach headlines, solar winds, for example, or a specific app has been hacked. But then it's all about kind of the larger technology layer and the way it interfaces because people weren't talking about facial recognition and data privacy until, you know, suddenly George Floyd's murder happens. You have massive people in the streets, cameras everywhere, and then something that I, I frankly didn't think that I would see, you know, a lot of technology companies voluntarily saying like, we're just not going to sell facial recognition AI to police departments anymore. Right. Like that was not at the general public that was being debated in policy circles for sure. And there were hardcore advocates trying to bring it, but in enter the general population's uh, mindset that that felt like a huge shift in 2020. Yeah, and I have a lot to say about <laughs> <laughs> kind Please. of almost performative um, stances that some mm -hmm. took because you think about not selling facial recognition or to police officers or law enforcement and whatnot, but you're still partnered with technology companies that are, you know, unethically redistributing and aggregating consumer data. Um, so, you know, there, there's a, a healthy medium between the two, I would say. And that's a lot of the, the work that we do is trying to figure out like, okay, you say you're not going to partner with law enforcement. What does that really mean? Let's dig deeper. For sure. I like that. Um, I want to, I want to change gears a little bit. And one of the things that I really love that you talk about is mental health and disconnecting on the weekends. Uh, that's one of my personal favorite things to do is put my phone away. So I would love to hear what's your favorite unplugged activity and how do you recharge? Yeah, my favorite time of the day is on Friday at 5 p.m. <laughs> I literally go on the phone and I delete all social media. I delete LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram off of my phone. Um, I don't have notifications or anything turned on on those. On, I don't have any notifications turned on my phone, period, <laughs> for anything. Um, awesome. Except for email, I would say. But I'm looking when I'm engaged. But my favorite thing to do is delete it all, is first and foremost. <laughs> <laughs> it's the um, Friday delete session. Oh, Friday <laughs> delete. Yeah. Great. And then I would say, I was thinking about this question, right? I'm like, what is my favorite unplugged activity? I think it's not necessarily an activity, but just knowing that I'm unreachable. <laughs> is Ooh, I like that. that the, the <laughs> thought of knowing that there, there aren't any messages and DMs that are coming in because while I started doing the Tech with Taz stuff and it was literally just my own cathartic way of sharing information and being able to bridge those two worlds that you'd mentioned before, George, and I do it through my video series, um, answering questions is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you, know? you do it professionally too. Yeah. Yes. You have, you answer. Constantly talking. And it's not like we're just talking about simple stuff. You know, we're, we're talking about technical information and then almost 
you're like translating in your mind, going from very technical wording and jargon to then trying to simplify something. And then depending on who you're talking about, making it very personal. So I unplug by being unavailable. <laughs> and I would say my favorite activity, uh, anything using my hands, I'm down for, you know, whether that be kind of like writing, drawing, but cooking is my go-to. That's something that I love to do. I absolutely adore doing. And unfortunately, because of all of these things that I just decided to put on my plate, I don't always have <laughs> to go. <laughs> um, so I, I thoroughly enjoy using my weekends to make a dish from scratch. That's awesome. Yeah. There's something about um, those of us working in the so-called knowledge economy, which is not a term mm -hmm. that I love, but yeah, you know, cooking or something manual where like you have applied physical effort and there is a before and an after, there's something very gratifying there. Yeah. You know, it's not just emails or spreadsheets or, you know, it just feels very ephemeral, but yeah, there's something you can share with people at the end of the day. Yeah. And without a screen, I think we're just on uh, screen all the time. Yeah. 100%. Uh, I started writing letters to my friends and we send letters back and forth. This is to my friend in Italy and I have another friend in Cali and we've just been straight analog pen palling, which has been super nice. Fun. That's amazing. We don't even yeah. text anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it's like, you know, the US Postal Service doesn't have enough to do, but now it's got more letters to send. <laughs> Great, thanks, George. No. <laughs> I'm trying to keep them in business. No, it's, yes, yeah, that's for real. Yeah, I have a, a friend in London and we would use Telegram a lot. And then I realized all we were doing was sending like news story links to one another. And <laughs> I said, like, can we like deep freeze Telegram and let's like just commit to, you know, once a month, like a, a deeper conversation. And it's much more gratifying. You know, it's not like constant pinging yeah. and it feels at one level like we're not as connected, but then the conversations are much more involved for sure. Um, I also use the screen time feature to basically lock all apps mm. on my phone for most days. So I have to be really intentional about unlocking email. Um, but yes, yeah, so I like, can we make hashtag Friday delete like a thing? I know, right? I do disconnect from the matrix. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I will say though, I don't completely turn off screens at all times because my love language is binge watching comedy television shows also. So, I mean, maybe on a Saturday, finally have the time to watch an episode of Parks and Rec. I will give it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Awesome. <laughs> That's a good one. It's such a great show. <laughs> yeah, we got a we got a real soft spot for Leslie Nope over here. Um, so I suppose that uh, using Instagram as a forum kind of brings with it some contradictions here, right? So can mm -hmm. I ask how you're reconciling audience reach versus data privacy issues and the big FB and kind of how you sort that? It's something that I internally battle every time. <laughs> <laughs> into these damn applications. Um, and I would say, even when I started doing the work, it, the question comes up all the time because one, I try to be real and I hate hypocritical elements or being a, you know, tangible contradiction. Um, but 
the fact is we all use these platforms and it, the masses especially use these platforms what am i going to do send letters to hundreds yes <laughs> <laughs> and try to get them to listen so what i realized was if you think about it these platforms were created for people to connect and there are inherently good elements around it and i made it my mission to educate people on these platforms to be able to hold these organizations that are creating more of these platforms that are creating policy within these platforms holding them accountable and the people that are going to be able to best hold them accountable are consumers um and so if i can almost bridge that gap right if i can be somebody that can connect and relate to consumers and um be someone that leverages social media the way that i do and uses it as frequently as i do and then also take whatever feedback i'm getting and and bring it back to these policymakers and then also folks that are working i mean i have ton of friends that work at google at facebook at snapchat and it's always the question of how can we be better um and i think by educating the public we also get feedback directly from them asking them all right so what would you want different so that's how i deal with the i mean the element the quandary yes the quandary <laughs> the the inner battle um but it's definitely something i have to journal about on a daily basis <laughs> and really think through because my videos sometimes i even realize i have my own personal biases as well and i can definitely be radical on some things over others and my personal goal is to be as objective as possible moving forward because every day i'm learning and i'm realizing that there are advantages and disadvantages to everything and i think that the best thing that we can do is try to understand all of the elements and create community solutions um you know we're not getting rid of big tech it's not happening it's never going to happen yeah. as much as people want to say abolish this and that that type of absolutist i mean advocacy in my opinion it it helps to drive change right and perhaps have change like speed change in a way the more radical you are perhaps to get to certain compromises and conclusions um but these things aren't going anywhere so yeah we got to be educated and informed and then also energized to be involved in the process i think is the most important yeah i mean that's more than enough justification if you're it's the net benefit of educating the consumers of the platforms who will apply the market pressure to those platforms but i just wanted to put you on the spot and hear it yeah. but that was a really good that was a good really good reason um yeah, yeah and i agree good yeah yeah it's it's just culture jamming at its best and again yeah they're not going to you know i hear these ads that facebook is paid for in terms of the regulations they're seeking and stuff and there that would not be there if there weren't a kind of market pressure and um i've since left instagram but i do i remember that in 20 2018 the midterms when we had a bunch of young uh congressmen come in congress people i should say and they were using Instagram to show like the most mundane aspects of life, like how they get their office. But I, I remember thinking at the time, like, 
that's actually like incredible civic engagement because like how many young people they will feel more connected if they understand how things operate whereas you just read it in the newspaper it, it just feels like here's this committee meeting it, this vote happened and then this but kind of seeing a behind the scenes is that's a really powerful tool yeah for sure yeah and it's it's similar in the way of what you're doing Taz and taking these really complex topics and bringing them back to the individual and what it really means to you and how you can engage. And you are into a lot. You're clearly very busy. You're a founding member of the Cyber Collective, which is a community-centered research organization that educates to understand the ways data and privacy impact consumers. Everybody should follow them on Instagram. Can you share any news or what the organization has been up to? Yeah, um, it's actually really exciting. We've been working so hard and just shout out to the entire team and the community. If you are listening in, um, they really helped propel all of these initiatives forward in a fairly short amount of time. But we just released a retrospective analysis of our 2020 and the work that we've done. Um, essentially, our goal is to use creative research tactics to both educate and then assess the education that we just gave and then develop um, almost Socratic seminar type conversations and discussions to get people to engage in um, this type of dialogue as it relates to security and privacy. And so there were a ton of findings that we had and just very um, the vertical specific feedback that we've gotten from different folks. And we share that in our most recent brief. And it also um, propelled us into a campaign that we're launching on National Privacy Day that we're really excited about. It definitely has to do with privacy. <laughs> um, trying to continue to center diverse voices within policy development. I think that um, there's probably a national privacy legislation in the works. I know that there's a federal privacy commission that has been built. Um, privacy officers are working super hard to continue to address all of the different um, bills that are in place, right, as it relates to consumer privacy, but there isn't something centered, as you all know. And so our goal is to make an ask to ensure that different people of domain expertise can be involved in developing the policy itself. Because nice. as security professionals, even with certain compliance, right, when you're trying to roll out a framework within an organization, the developers or, you know, security is not the, the sexiest, um, group in an org. Normally people don't like security folks because it's really compliance and risk and telling people what they can't do, right? And sometimes creating barriers. And so we're realizing that there are downstream effects of certain compliance and policy that's implemented. And a lot of this policy is developed by lawyers, right? And folks that are very much in their perspective and they don't always realize how this policy might affect the technical side the actual rollout it might affect advertising mm -hmm. marketers the consumers sales business development and so what we're really proposing is that there be a subcommittee of diverse 
folks, and I don't mean, you know, ethnic diversity. I, I, I mean, diversity within domain expertise for people to come together and review the legislation before it's rolled out. Um, and for there to be an annual review of the policy to match all of the up-to-date technology that exists. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you when know? you consider like the last big internet technology legislation was 1996. <laughs> I mean, on. you know, even certain, pro I get simple questions from people like, why can't we do this on the internet? Or why is legal language so hard to read? And I, my response is, I don't know, y'all. <laughs> I really, I really don't understand. Um, and so I think that our, what we're really excited about, there are already so many groups and individuals that are energized to participate and join the subcommittee. Um, so there's a lot on the way um, for site. It's awesome. And we're launching, um, we're going to host an event on National Privacy Day where we'll be talking about our 2021 roadmap, what we have in the pipeline um, and how people can get involved through the year. And especially if folks want to join in um, our proposed policy that we're going to be pushing out um, with a group of experts and cohorts that I, I can't share yet, but I'm really, really excited to announce later. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll, we'll stay tuned. Also, big plug for Cyber Collective Swag. It's like some, some dope. You like swag. it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I meant to get I meant to get the hat before the interview because I was gonna wear it, but I did, I just didn't get my act together. But yeah, it's on it's on the shopping list. Oh, that's so awesome! I really appreciate it. Yeah, we have a lot of cozy stuff. Um, the sweaters are super soft, and we just rolled out some jackets, which are really cool. I'm excited about it. Awesome. Love love good swag. <laughs> Okay, so I, I do want to ask a little bit more about the work you're doing for Morgan Franklin Consulting. Um, you talked a little bit about how you focus on enterprises um, with the consulting that you're doing, but I'm curious what types of use cases or issues that you typically work on. Yeah, my focus primarily is in um, compliance and policy. That's where my expertise stands and um, previously been around product architecture. Um, so a lot of the use cases are around, you know, um, framework implementation, managing continued compliance, risk assessments. Um, as an organization, we do, I mean, the entire slew of security services that you can imagine. Uh, we have really great CISOs, um, previous CISOs that consult um, and work at Morgan Franklin. So a lot, I mean, most recently we worked with a, um, I can't say the name obviously, and share most of the work that we right. security and it's under an NDA. Um, but we did work with a, um, for the elections, um, we worked with a local, I don't know why I'm missing the word, a municipality <laughs> to secure um, their elections, which was such a, I mean, eye-opening learning experience and going on site and looking at the tabloid machines and understanding the checks and balances that they have nice. physical security to, um, you know, internal security is just fascinating. It's so awesome. That is a very um, unique customer that we have, but 
it's mostly around a lot of compliance work. And I think our creme de la creme is identity access management that we've um, focused a lot around. So it's, it's cool. I, I get to learn so much at the enterprise level and then relay that information to consumers and make it um, accessible. Recently at Morgan Franklin, because we're super small, I mean, Morgan Franklin Con Consulting is a larger organization, but Morgan Franklin Cyber, you could almost consider a startup. Um, mm -hmm. And because of my experience with business development and then my content development and whatnot, um, I've had the opportunity to get involved in a lot of the content development that we have. And, um, you know, we have a video series that we just launched. It's called the CISO Perspective Series. And we're releasing weekly blogs um, and articles. And it's been really, it's been really cool to be involved on kind of like, I'm doing the same thing at Cyber Collective for consumers. And then also now it's mirroring um, at Morgan Franklin at an enterprise level. So it gives me an opportunity to make connections that I feel like I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if I didn't live this dual life, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, it sounds like those circles are actually coming closer together rather than diverging. Yeah, so and awesome. I, I think that that's going to continue for our industry. I, I really feel like this consumer awareness and consumer security products, people are getting hit to this outside of our vertical and we're going to see a lot. I mean, I feel like antivirus is going to make a, a, a new wave. People are going to use the nostalgic elements of Norton and McAfee to create new products and stuff, you know? Well, and, and, you know, work from home life has certainly accelerated that understanding. I'm sure that's why identity access is such a big issue if you've got people distributed. But to your point on the convergence, you're also at home and possibly sharing devices or, you know, your organization's worried that your 12 year old is going to use your work laptop or, you know, there's like a lot in terms mm -hmm. of device management and just network access. Um, cool. So we're, we're coming up on time. So I want to, I want to end with a little return to the beginning. I want to, we would be remiss if we did not bring up representation issues, but I'm, I want to return to your starting story, which is about seeing that boss lady with her man carrying the bags. You know, we've spoken uh, to several uh, leaders who are very frank about how security is a lucrative line of work such that in underrepresented communities, it can also represent like a generational wealth change, right? Um, so I want to sort of talk about representation first and kind of harken back to that story that you saw this lady as successful and that seemed to be the first and primary impetus maybe for your outreach but you know there was something else there in terms of what did you see was missing uh from either a recruiting or a mentoring standpoint like obviously security wasn't on your radar at the time and this was like a big thing a big experience that put it on your radar can you can we explore that a little yeah, I feel like there would have to be an entirely different episode to <laughs> fair point of this question because it's so layered. Um, and you know, as far as like corrective pressure, right, and um, what that means for the industry and representation, it has changed since I first started to now. Mm. I am 
there is representation, you have to find it, right? You have to go looking for it. And I think that's a piece of the problem as well. The fact that you really do have to go looking for it to find the representation in the industry. Um, and, you know, we look to thought leaders that carry a certain number of digital real estate. And then we assume that those are the only people that exist in the industry or we go to them and it's like a few selected chosen folks, right? You think of InfoSec Twitter and whatnot, mm -hmm. you the same names pop up all the time. And I, you know, I think that there has to be a split of this digital real estate for all voices to, to shine and to be available and not necessarily even shine, but just really give good perspective, right? Like at Cyber Collective, our events, I mean, I have been in the security industry for almost 10 years now and I, not to toot my own horn, but I have never been to any security seminar or privacy seminar with the diversity that we've had. And you ask the question like, why, why is it that I can find diversity so easily, but at Morgan Franklin, you know, and my, my employers know this and that I feel this way, our webinars are still all white males, right? And Word. for me, I definitely don't want to attend a webinar that doesn't have any females or people of color on it. I mean, we're, it's 2021. If you can't figure it out, then you're probably not trying, in my opinion. Um, and so it's not that, I don't even want to say underrepresentation. There is representation. It's mm -hmm. the, the people just need to work a little harder, like go like maybe two degrees further to find someone else and ask the questions and then actually get them involved. Um, and, you know, as far as like applying some more pressure, it's less about the mentoring or recruiting elements. It's about just calling shit out when you see it. I think the biggest help would be is just having some bravado in the workplace. And when you hear somebody say something left, like some real, real, it could be subliminal or like, you're like, oh, that sounded a little funky. Like, I don't think, you, <laughs> that. you know, call, call it out when you see it, because that is what makes the change, behavioral change. And it's tough. And as long as you can do it through empathy and have a conversation about it. And, and I think that's what the security industry lacks um, is this element of like that corporate passive aggressive culture where you don't mm -hmm. know what you mean and you can't be honest. It's like, I can't, I, I can't, I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> you know? And right. I, I think that there has to be, people just have to take individual ownership of their ability to be an agent of change. And, and that's all that it is. If you're seeing that recruiting is happening, and you're like, hey, why don't we have any women or people of color? Just ask the question. It, it doesn't have to be something gravely serious and like, let's talk about racism. Right. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this intense thing. It could just be like, hey, we realized that this is a historically white industry because of everything that we know systemically. Cool. We got it. What can we do to move forward and change it? And it just- Right on making it almost like a casual question. Like, hey, notice it was just white. Um, do you want me to go find somebody for you or what's up? <laughs> right. If we can just make it that casual and normalize it. I think people are just still so afraid of being called out because it's, I'm, I'm sorry for the background noise. I live in New York City and there's nothing hey, you can do yeah, about it. it. Okay. <laughs> um, 
so it, it I think when you call out certain things, people automatically assume like, oh my God, it's going to be attacked to my character. And mm -hmm. people just realize that, hey, it's a part of the system and the thing and how we process things and how we learn things. And if we can take the character element out of it, yes, it does. It is vindictive to your character at times. And I think it says more about your character, how you respond and react to the questions or the call outs when it's made. And so that would be my biggest ask for anyone listening. It's just like, speak up and say something in the moment that you're in rather than waiting or sending like a chat right behind the <laughs> And for sure, this is in our wheelhouse because that's what security does. We solve problems, right? So I, I like your take there rather than just sort of like sit on our hands, you know, you got to go solve the problem mm -hmm. so. but there's been so much progress which is the, the even with cyber collective the amount of women of color black women black men uh, and collaboration between groups and people and organizations that i'm seeing is unmatched to anything that i've seen before i think our industry is evolving and progressing in such a positive way and as long as we're having these conversations, we can continue to do it. And so I, 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 I'm really proud of our industry, I would say, for the amount of inclusivity at times, or at least the, because hackers even, you know, it's a bunch of outliers already you know, <laughs> that, that are in the industry. And we're like, oh, everyone's weird is accepted here. So let's just continue to do it. That's awesome. Yeah, incredible. Well, as you, said we have sure more than enough yours. material yeah i think you got lost but i love your optimism thank you i appreciate it um yeah as you said we have more than enough material for another episode so <laughs> am i frozen again oh we can hear you good now. now you're back now good 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 it's my uh my wife is teaching kids how to read so we're eating up some serious internet bandwidth right now <laughs> so, that's so awesome uh, um cool well Thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. Um, as you said, we have more than enough material for another episode. Maybe that's in the works. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. It's been a delight. I am just humbled to have the opportunity, really, to have platforms to speak on. And I appreciate you all for taking the time yourselves and hearing out all of my different lives, <laughs> my, my chaotic <laughs> life and, and work. Um, I really, really appreciate both both of your time. I, thank you. Thank you for Cool. Talking. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you once again to Tezin Khan for joining us uh, and sharing her expertise. This podcast is brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. Our sound design and post-production is done by Kai Krogetti, music by Matias Cefaletti. And we will see you again in two weeks. Until then, stay safe, stay strong.